Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From 2 Samuel, And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Our uh, text from, for this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're actually going to be spending the bulk of our time in the portion of the text that the lectionary omits. The portion of the text that's not in our lectionary. Now, I know that our lectionary is a wonderful and it's a beautiful thing, but every now and then, the lectionary is a little bit sanitized. It's, it's, it's made easier for us to understand. And I think it's merciful for us who have to preach it so we don't have to explain difficult things. But uh, I'm a glutton for punishment, so we're going to jump in. If I had thought about it, I would have redacted that text and put it in your bulletin and made it very uh, you know, appealing to you, right? But, you know, the forbidden things are interesting. But our text is, is the portion that Janet so kindly read for us this morning, which is uh, when Uzzah touches the ark, and drops dead. So, I'm going to give you uh, not much background today, but what had happened was David had took 30,000 people to go and retrieve the ark of the Lord that was sitting on the outskirts of Israel. And so, they go and they retrieve the ark, and they're bringing it back. And as we heard this morning, Uzzah reaches out when the ark uh, starts to topple off of the ox cart and touches it and perishes immediately. And so my question for you, the obvious question is, what in the world is going on here? What is going on? Is God's mood so volatile? Are His rules so arbitrary that He just kills poor Uzzah for steadying the ark, just strikes him dead? Well, the short answer is no. So let us pray. No, I'm kidding. I have 15 more minutes with you all. We're not stopping the sermon there. I'm going to explain a little bit why. why this happened. So we're going to dive in. Well, first of all, what is the ark? What is the ark and why is it important? We haven't heard about it this entire time I've been preaching on David this summer. So what's the ark and why is it important? Well, the ark was a, uh, it was about four feet by um, two and a half feet by two and a half feet box of wood. It contained the Ten Commandments stone tablets and it was overlaid with gold. And for a time, It was where God allowed His presence to be experienced in a way unlike any other place on earth. And there were rules on how to handle it, right? Um, It had to be carried on poles. It had to be carried by Levites. It was to be covered by a veil, certainly not supposed to be touched. And I was trying to think about how to explain this in a modern context because we don't have much like this. And I thought of an old Harrison Ford movie. Most of you thought I was going to say Indiana Jones, but that's actually not where I'm going. Um, It's an old Harrison Ford movie called K-19, The Widowmaker, and it's about Harrison Ford on a Russian submarine. Um, And when you watch this movie, you realize just how terribly dangerous nuclear reactors are in a submarine. Who would have thought, right? But if you think about it, and think about that compared to the Ark, a submarine is a place where it has a nuclear reactor where if you were to come, and touch, you know, come into contact with it, you would likely be killed. And so there were strict rules and regulations about how to um, handle yourself while you're on one of these submarines. 
right, for, for the safety of everyone. You can't get exposed to that much radiation and not have it affect you. There were rules that were to be obeyed for the safety of everyone. Well, in our text, none of those rules were being followed. None of those regulations were being followed. It was not, the ark was not carried on poles by priests. It was not covered. In fact, it was set on an ox cart, and it was pulled, and it was uncovered, and it was touched. And I can understand that there are some of us that look at this text and we say, well, isn't this an angry and volatile God that will strike you with lightning as soon as you disobey the rules? You know, God's kind of like the boogeyman that you tell your children about. I hope you didn't. But the one, you know, where if you break the rules, he's going to get you. And I think that a lot of us have this misconception about God, that as soon as we step out of line, right, as soon as we um, say something we shouldn't say or do something we shouldn't do, we look up, right? Are we, am I going to be struck by lightning in that moment? Well, that's not what happens here, and that's not what God is doing. God isn't striking them down for breaking the first rule. Think about this for a second. God didn't strike anyone down when they placed the ark on the cart. God didn't strike anyone down when they processed with the ark as it was uncovered. It wasn't that they stepped out of line and were immediately killed. In fact, it wasn't until Uzzah reached out and presumed to touch the ark that he died. Because no one can come in direct contact with a holy God No one can do that and live. You can't come in direct contact with the Holy God and live. And a lot of that is because of our sinfulness. You see, Uzzah Uzzah was presumptuous, and here's how he was presumptuous. He presumed that the ark would be more defiled, catch this, by touching the dirt than it would be by touching him. He presumed that the ark would be more defiled by touching dirt than it would be by touching him. He had forgotten the depths of his own sinfulness, the depths of his own depravity, and he had forgotten that sin cannot enter into the presence of God. It just can't do it. Can you bring shadows or darkness into a well-lit room without an an object? No, of course you can't. Light obliterates shadows. Shadows cannot stand in the presence of, of light. And in the same way, our sin cannot enter into the presence of a holy God. And I know that sounds really strange in our culture of, um, you know, I'm okay, and you're okay, and we're all okay, and whatever I think is okay, and whatever I feel is okay, and whatever I do is okay. Because in our culture, and we're in a weird place, um, we seem to measure ourselves by our own standards, right? We seem to measure ourselves by ourselves, and we we don't want to have any standard imposed to us or imposed upon us, except that which we can live up to, right? We don't like to take on challenges that might show that we are failures, that we aren't measuring up. When I was looking at the sermon, I was reminded of um, the news story that broke, I think it was in 2016, when the SAT scores were changed. Do you remember this? Anybody remember this? SAT is a standardized test, right, that all high schoolers have to take and they dread. I think it's like five hours long. It's a nightmare. But what, what happened around 2015 or 16 is bunch of students were failing the SAT. They were failing it. And so do you know what they did? They decided to change the test to make it easier, right? To try to change the standard instead of changing the level of students. And so what they did is they made the essay optional. They, um, 
They took out the difficult vocabulary words. They made the math questions easier. All they did was lower the bar. And see, that's something that, that is really tempting for us to do when we look at our own sin because it's not comfortable to talk about the areas in which we fall short. It's very painful and very difficult. But the problem is, as much as we want to, we cannot reconstruct reality to suit our whims. And I know we try. Last night, for example, um, my entire family was woken up at 3.45 a.m., and it was because I had ignored reality. You see, a week before, my smoke detector Give that warning beep, you know, when it's low on battery and it's, it's telling you, hey, you better change this or you're going to be uncomfortable. And I said, oh, it'll be fine, right? I'm just, I'm just going to live in my own reality. Well, at 3.45 this morning, both of my smoke detectors went off incessantly and it woke up me and the dog went crazy and my pregnant wife was woken up and my son and it was just a mess, right? So I get in the car and I'm driving around in the early hours of this morning to try to find a dadgum nine-volt battery. So... What happened was, in that moment, I was trying to ignore the reality of my situation, and I was very unpleasantly awoken to the reality of it, right? Reality has this nasty way of intruding upon our lives. You agree with that? Um, and, and that's exactly what happened in our text. You see, in the middle of this enormous procession, where Uzzah and 30,000 people are celebrating the reality of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man did just that. It intruded into, um, into their make-believe procession. And so, when we look at the fault of Uzzah and, and what happened in this text, it was his presumption that destroyed him. It was his presumption. It was his unwillingness to admit and to see his own flaws, his own sin. And we do the same thing. When we, like Icarus, fly too close to the sun, when we refuse to admit our flaws and weaknesses and humble ourselves before the Lord, it isn't your sin that keeps you from the presence of God. It's your lack of willingness to admit your sin and give it to Christ. Do you hear me when I say that? When you, don't, when you refuse to acknowledge your sin, when you refuse to hand that over to Christ, when you refuse to, uh, the forgiveness of God and you refuse to repent, that's what keeps you from God's presence. Not your sin itself, because Christ has died to cover all of that. Look at that, I just jumped to the conclusion. But... We've got a few more things before we end our time together today. Let's look back at the text on ver at verse 9. This is what happened. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? David was angry, and he was afraid. We learn from 1 Chronicles, he wasn't angry at God. He was angry at them because they knew who God was. They knew the holiness of God. They knew the protections God had set in place to keep them safe and yet they broke them. And so David despairs. How can I be close to God? How in the world can someone like me ever be worthy to enter into God's presence? He was woken up to the reality of his sin in that moment. You see, none of us can be told that we are sinful. We have to be shown, right? I can tell you that lying is bad all the time, but until someone who you love is hurt by your deception, you don't necessarily get it. Well, David had a very real, very visceral example of sin in that moment. And so he despairs, and they drop off the ark at this guy Obed-Edom's house. And you can imagine he's not thrilled, right? Didn't this thing just kill somebody, and you're going to put it in my backyard? But they drop off the ark at his house, and they go. And then David learns something else very important about God. David learns that God 
is a loving, caring, and good God. And this is how he learns that, because the ark blesses Obed-Edom's house. It blesses Obed-Edom. See, God wasn't bitter. God wasn't resentful. He didn't hold a grudge. It's simply God's holiness that keeps us from being in his presence. And so David noticed the blessing in Obed-Edom's house, and so they go and they retrieve the ark. And at this point, I'm going to ask you a question. Here's your, here's your quiz for the day to see if you've been paying attention. You ready? And I know I'm not going to lower the bar for you, all right? You've got you to achieve. You've got to reach up. Um, why do you think David was so intent on going through all of this to bring the ark to Jerusalem in the first place? Why was David so intent on bringing the ark? Why not just leave it alone? After all, Saul had left it on the outskirts of, of Israel for his whole reign. Why was David so intent on bringing the ark into his presence? Why was he pursuing God so strongly, so, so avidly? Well, as we learn in the song he sings in the parallel account, when he's bringing the ark in and he goes before the Lord, it's because joy and peace and strength are found in the presence of the Lord. See, a lot of people miss being in the presence of the Lord because they aren't willing to humble themselves. They aren't willing to take a look in the mirror. They aren't willing to go into those deep, dark places that they wish no one would enter. And so instead of going into those places and inviting God in to forgive them, to cleanse them of their sin, instead of giving that sin to God, Instead, they just create a God of their own fancy that looks a lot like them, that thinks everything that they think, and is always smiling at them. Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, David doesn't do that. He wants the real God, the God of power and love and joy and majesty. And so, when he goes back to the ark, and this is where we're going to end our time this morning, not only does he honor God by following the rules and regulations that God set forth, but most importantly of all, he offers a sacrifice before they even take their seventh step. And he does so because he needs to be, he, he realizes his impurities and the holiness of God, and his sacrifice cleanses him so he can come into God's presence. You know, it's probably no surprise to you if you, if you watch me uh, for any length of time that I was not born an Episcopalian. Is that secret out? Do you all pretty well know that at this point, right, that I, that I come from a different tradition? What drew me to, to this church, what drew me to the Episcopal Church, was how much in honor and, and majesty and, and, and what sense of awe we hold our Lord God Almighty. You see, we have a very important part of our liturgy coming up. Uh, when we go into communion and we experience this presence of God, when we are granted access into His presence by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us, and there's this prayer that we pray beforehand. Do you know the one I'm talking about? the prayer of humble access. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in what? Our own righteousness. That is how you and I have access to this presence of God that David delighted in and he craved, that filled him with joy. It's through the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the once and for all death that has atoned for us. So let us not forget that God has not lowered him standard or made himself less holy so that we can reach him, nor are we by our own selves, our own merit, holy enough to reach him. But it was through the death of Christ that that gap was bridged for us. And I would just ask that as we go into and we, we pray our prayer of humble access that you would consider this passage and the incredible work that God has done for us 
to bring us near to him and to hold us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reminders that you are God and we are not. That you are the one who holds all things in the palm of your hand, that we can trust in your goodness and your holiness. That when you see us, you do not see us in our sin, you do not see us in our shame, and you do not see us in our failures, but you see the righteousness of God, the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, and you delight in us, and you desire us for yourself. God, I pray that we would, with great humility, approach you, with humility and with confidence in the work that you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.